0: Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. All of a sudden, openers are about a week and a half away for college hoops. Looking forward to it. Coming up, we're going to preview a couple teams that are accustomed to being there at the end. The uh, reigning NCAA champion, UConn, and preseason number one, Kansas. Our guest is going to be Ken Davis, who uh, wrote the preview stories for both those teams. So it's going to be a fun visit with Ken coming up in just a little bit. And he'll tell us, too, about his connections with, with those two programs over the years. Chris, uh as we start our show i had some other material prepared but i've scrapped all that we need an entry update from you <laughs> because i know there's a there's there been something that happened this morning that made you questionable for our show today give, give us the update
1: yeah i was almost a late scratch man uh i i was sweating bullets and and counting down the the minutes and and thought well i better have a contingency in place um I was drafted to take my grandsons to school, uh, today. They go to the same school, which is handy. And, and, uh, I met my daughter in the parking lot of a, of a gas station and she gave me their stuff and I put it in the car and closed the door on my right pinky. Uh, I've never done that before. And I have an excuse. Um, I've had an interesting couple of weeks, uh, A couple of weeks ago a deer came out of nowhere and hit me uh in in my trusty crv i literally just got it back yesterday and i've been driving the chevy tracker which is a smaller suv and smaller door and everything and at least this is the theory i'm going with first day back with the new car larger door uh i was so used to that tracker that my hand, you know, was just in the way way of that bigger door, and whack! Uh, luckily, my family doctor is not that far away, so I drove over there, and, and uh, he did a good thing. I mean, if, if it had been me, I'd have just, you know, tucked it out and and I don't know, chewed on a, a bullet or something like they did in the old days, and just got gotten rid of the the nail and 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 covered it up with a band aid, but. He tried to preserve it with some stereo strips and I got a X-ray. I don't think it's broken or anything like that, but uh, what's broken is my pride <laughs> and my streak. I had a lifetime streak of never having done that, and now uh, uh, my grandsons—boy, they're, <laughs> they're, they're like—they like watching scary stuff on TV, but not in real life i thought my oldest one was going to pass out
0: they didn't learn any l- new language or anything this morning did they
1: no no i i, I kept the profanity to absolute <laughs> minimum in fact it, any that i might have uttered was under my breath
0: <laughs>
1: but boy that stang i, I wouldn't uh,
0: say so that, that sounds uh yeah, very painful
1: yeah that was a bummer uh, uh top of the morning to you <laughs> yeah
0: exactly man well uh glad you're okay and uh and glad, yeah, glad no, you're I here for the I'll show okay. and, and i know that's one of your typing fingers so i guess i don't guess any of the uh the, the stories that'll be written today will have any uh semicolons or anything on that side no, of the keyboard no, right
1: i remember you made me think of my the one class in high school that i actually remember is a half hour typing class that was on the tail end of my lunch uh break jkl semicolon yep Uh, I'm going to need something else maybe a long dash uh, (laughs) uh, maybe uh, convert one sentence into two Uh, I teach my writing students that all the time about a semicolon and you know they have a tendency to write what's known as run-on sentences and uh, uh, I say you can fix that real easy with a semicolon but and not with a busted up picky.
0: Uh, might not be very many of those uh, coming your way uh, for the next few days. But, uh, man, great to great to be here and great to be getting close to the uh, season started. And it's also the perfect yeah. time of year to order a copy of Blue Ribbon, if you haven't already. And, and Chris, you and your, your staff have been busy filling orders, right?
1: We have. I, I mean, for a, literally uh, a month ago, we got our books at an all time early date and we've been pumping them out every day since Sunday. And, uh, man, we're about out of our spiral edition, but, uh, if anybody wanted to get one still just go to blue ribbon yearbook.com and, and order, we've got a digital edition. If you're in a hurry and you can download that immediately and, and get studying uh, a lot of our fans were taken aback. We, we got this new printer. I can't say enough about them, but they got the book to us in 28 days and that's a record. Uh, no, no blue ribbon has ever come out. And this is our 43rd year, uh, in September. Uh, in fact, when I took it over from Chris Wallace, he was getting it out in December. And, uh, I just put some of my, you know, newspaper techniques to work and Hey man, if I can get a newspaper out every day, I think I can get this yearbook out. I've got sure. a few weeks to do that. And, uh, but this was an all-time early date, and people were pumped. My email box <laughs> last year was so full when, when the printer took 61 days. Where's my book? And now it's like nobody, uh, crickets. So that's the way I like it. Uh, our, our um, you know, our, our deliveries are landing, and people are, are reading, and seems like everybody's excited.
0: Yeah, I've definitely uh, perused the Blue Ribbon Yearbook already myself, uh, checking out a a few previews for games I have coming up uh, here in the near future. Uh, There's been a lot of practice going on and quite a few close scrimmages as well. And and not a whole lot of information typically gets out there uh, about these games, unless it feels like the teams want that information out there. I I was going to ask you the question, do do you feel like these should be made more public or would it be helpful to simply play exhibition games like, like some of these charity games we're seeing?
1: It's so silly. Um, it, it's almost like Double O Seven stuff. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got you know, to sneak information or hope somebody will give you. You can't, you know, if if a media person is caught in there, they will be summarily dispatched, uh, thrown out on your ear like you know you're a drunk at a bar and a bouncer's tossing you. But uh, I don't understand the secrecy. I really don't. I know that its they're not truly, you know, 40-minute games. Uh, coaches agree to, to try certain things, and the clock will stop, and, and, you know, obviously there are officials there, and they're really working on things, but they do keep score. I mean, uh, there's a winner and a loser, but you're right. I, I think uh, – and the NCAA is, has, has even – considered playing exhibition games in the summer now which i think would be great Um, they used to just really dump on the sport in terms of allowing coaches uh, to practice in the off season they wouldn't Uh, whereas spring football has always been a thing now uh, it's so much easier to, to as i said earlier we got blue ribbon out it's so much easier to get it out early when coaches can have six weeks in the summer yeah. starting in June uh, to look at their teams. So uh, I think it would be nothing but good for the game. I, I think it would attract interest if if more of these kind of exhibitions like we're going to see on Sunday uh, instead of these dumb clothes things. It, it's like I don't know what they're trying to hide. I know that most coaches I know would be more than happy to tell you what they were working on or tell you what went down but it's just in that voluminous ncaa rule book somewhere thou shalt not talk about float scrimmages
0: <laughs> uh charity games as you mentioned uh, coming up on sunday there have been several of them uh, to benefit relief efforts in maui uh they include tennessee at michigan state also kansas and illinois are going to play uh I think those things are really nice with the folks in Lahaina just devastated by the fires that happened out there a couple months ago but uh, those are some pretty nice matchups and you, maybe you do get a little feel for what's coming up this season.
1: Oh, I think there's going to be some great games. Uh, my buddy Ken Davis will join us a little bit to talk about Kansas but I'll say a little bit about Illinois. Hard to believe that Brad Underwood is entering his seventh year there. They made the NCAA three straight years. Uh, they've won uh, four straight They've got four straight 21 seasons under him. I I knew that was a good hire. They finished uh, four straight top five in the Big Ten, which is no small accomplishment. Uh, They're going to have one of the oldest teams in the country. So that's going to be a great game. Then Michigan State uh, is hosting Tennessee. This is really kind of cool. In in some ways, uh, I have a hand in that game. Uh, Max Carey, the excellent. Mount Rushmore S.I.D. from Michigan State emailed me uh, two days ago and Coach Izzo likes to have his blue ribbon. He likes that tactile feel of of a book. So Max has to uh, email me every year and get the code so he can print, um, you know, some pages for Coach. And lo and behold, he printed the Tennessee story, which I wrote, and it's a long sucker. So uh, uh, I gave Coach Izzo some uh, uh, some reading material. I think uh, I don't think I gave him any anything that he probably didn't already know. But it's kind of cool to know that uh, uh, you know a couple of Hall of Fame coaches are going at it, and they're both reading uh, Blue Ribbon to to start preparing for this game.
0: Yeah, reading some content from a Hall of Fame writer. It, it all fits together nicely. See, I thought you were going to say that you helped broker the game and, and make all this happen with your connections to those programs.
1: You know what? I'll tell you what. We, uh, a, friend of, a, a good friend of mine, I know you know him, uh, Jeff Cabe from the Southern Conference. We've thought for years that we wanted to start a business, uh, a search firm slash, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, matchmaker of games and one of my good friends who's a coach who shall remain nameless said you don't want to do that bro and i said what do you mean he said you don't want to get into the matchmaking business he said coaches are liars (laughs) (laughs) they'll tell you they're going to play and then all of a sudden they're not and then uh, there goes a friendship for you yeah and you're left holding the bag that's that's a pretty good that's some pretty good advice maybe we'll stay out of that matchmaking business but man if they would let me uh, pick some of these games, n- knowing what I know, uh, having read every team in the country and prep for Blue Ribbon, boy, I could, I could put some good ones together. I still think, and, and you and I have talked about this, we both live in Tennessee. I would love to see every D1 team in Tennessee have at it in the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville in sort of a preseason affair I think it'd be really be cool. Maybe you give the power conference teams a double buy or whatever, Yeah. but nobody's going to do that because uh, Tennessee does not want to lose a game to Tennessee state or Memphis does, does not want to lose to Austin P. They'll play those schools at home, but they're neutral site or on the road not going to happen.
0: Yeah, it would be fun to see something like that happen. I I totally agree. Uh, An event like that at Bridgestone would be super cool. Uh, There was another event that happened the other day. Uh, Ohio State went to Dayton to play a a game to benefit mental health and suicide prevention issues for young adults. They had a sellout crowd. They had more than 13,000 at the UD Arena, which is a great venue. You see it there for the first four, and it's been the home of Dayton basketball for many years. But a a lot of thought uh, related to Anthony Grant's daughter, who took her own life last year. The, The Buckeyes won the game 78-70 for what that was worth. But uh, th- those teams hadn't met since the uh, 2014 NCAA tournament when Dayton won at the buzzer. But I-, I thought it was neat that they they played that game to to benefit that cause. So uh, that, and as we talked about those games coming up for Maui Relief on, on Sunday, and there have been several more, you know, uh, St. Mary's in Hawaii played, and Hawaii play, and there have been a couple others. Those are neat things that are going on. Uh, Chris, ESPN put out uh, – a list of its five mid-majors that it felt like it could really do some damage in college basketball this season i thought it was interesting to to hear your comments about some of those and just how the opinions on some of these teams vary whether it's espn or or it's blue ribbon
1: well i'll go over the five i i, I like their picks uh they don't necessarily jive with ours um, first one is drake uh we picked drake number two in the valley behind you and i Drake has kind of really been on cruise control the last couple of years. But they lost uh, a good portion of their roster. They've got eight newcomers, including five uh, kids out of the portal. Um, Coach DeVries has done a great job. And of course, they've got the best player in the Valley uh, back. It's Tucker DeVries, his son. Uh, It's funny, a coach once told me uh, who would know. if you've got a son that plays for you, you better hope he's like at the tail end of the roster or at the beginning of the roster, or you're going to have uh, sniping from fans. Well, no problem with Coach DeVries. Tucker, uh, I think he's the best best player in the Valley. Last year, he averaged 19. So they'll figure out a way to get it done. But we just could not see. Uh, I think ESPN's goal was picking a, another FAU right and I think the the kingpin in that league this year is going to be UNI uh their other uh, second team was Grand Canyon we agree there we picked Grand Canyon um coached by Bryce Drew who did did you work some games in the Drew era
0: I, I did I did uh, some TV games uh while he was coached there mm-hmm.
1: really good guy for sure um, I, I thought he kind of got the shaft but that's another story uh at Vanderbilt but uh uh, he's really got it going at Grand Canyon. They too suffered some losses. Uh, three of their kids starters uh, transferred through through the portal, but they've got a couple of huge pieces back. A guard named Ray Harrison and a big named Gabe McLaughlin. So we picked them number one in the whack. So we jive with uh, with ESPN. There they picked Liberty uh, number one. Uh, uh, and we picked Liberty number one in Conference USA. This is funny. Um, Liberty is joining their third league in six years. <laughs> they are a roving bunch under coach Richie McKay, who's a great guy. Uh, one day I was in my office and I pick up the phone and somebody wanted to order a blue ribbon. I, the, the call had got directed to my office and he said, this is Richie McKay. And I said, coach, it's Chris. <laughs> So we had a great conversation. He was very, you know, complimentary of Blue Ribbon. And I was complimentary of him. He He's a great coach. He's been everywhere as a D1 coach. But most notably, I think he's been an assistant at Virginia where he, where he picked up a little bit of that pack line defense. And uh, they've got an experienced team. And uh, Conference USA, their kingpins sort of, filtered out to the American Athletic Association. So it would not surprise me if Richie McKay and Liberty won Conference USA. The one where we really differ with uh, uh, ESPN, they picked Loyola Chicago as one of their teams. We picked Loyola 12th in in the A-10. They joined the league out of the Valley uh, last year. Uh, They had 11 newcomers. And they just won four conference games, 10 overall. They do bring back five starters. Uh, the a 10 was a little bit down last year, though, and I think it'll be back up. So that's one where we differ. And finally, we're dead on on this one. Uh, ESPN picked Yale. We picked Yale number one in the Ivy. Uh, James Jones has done such a great job. He's been nice enough to be on our podcast. Um uh, He is the second winningest coach in Ivy League history behind the legendary Pete uh, of 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 Princeton. They've got five starters back, so Yale's a no-brainer pick, and if it were somebody to advance past the first round, if you're asking me, I would go with Yale in a second.
0: I saw Yale last year in the NIT. They, they came to Vanderbilt and played in the first round, and that they were a tough That's out right. for sure. They had just won – or I think they lost close in the uh – in the ivy league championship game but yeah they were a really good team and got everybody back and he's a terrific coach so that that is a, a good pick to make some noise this season uh i took a trip down to sec media day in birmingham last week was there at their vanderbilt contention that's all about half the teams uh from the conference or their, their coaches and a few players uh i was thinking off the top of my head i saw alabama and missouri i saw auburn uh mississippi state and arkansas and georgia and lsu and it's one of those things chris you know hope springs eternal this time of year everybody's optimistic and uh, it feels like the coaches would rather be having practice than making the media rounds, but the the players seem to have a good time uh, going to those things and doing some interviews and, and shooting some of the little things that they use for uh, like the SEC tournament or, or some of the other the TV stuff that they uh, use during the season on the broadcast.
1: I wish I could have joined you down there. Um, since I started back teaching, um, it always falls right. It's always on a Wednesday, and I teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so it's just been hard for me to get down there. I would have liked to have gone this year because I think the SEC, it'll be one of the better leagues in the country. Uh, certainly the Big 12 has staked its claim if you look at the Ken Pomeroy ratings. But the SEC top to bottom, w- we picked six teams in our top 25. Joe Lenardi, I think, has seven or eight teams in his preseason bracketology going into the NCAA. And those bottom tier teams, are, whoever they are, are going to be difficult too so uh, i wish i could have gone with you down there and, and gotten the low down and i always like to see some of the espn people that are there uh and just kind of talk to them did you notice anybody like seth greenberg mm-hmm. or
0: yeah i saw uh, seth greenberg i saw jimmy dykes i saw some of the sec network crew uh they had peter burns and uh, you know they, they had the desk set up there, and they would bring the the, the coach and, and players up to the desk. Uh, I, I talked to Pat Bradley for a couple minutes. I talked to my uh, fellow, yeah, the shooter. Uh, he's always awesome. I talked to my fellow Bowling Green native uh, Damian Fishback uh, for a few minutes there too. Uh, he and I went to to uh, different high schools. Uh, i went to bowling green he went to greenwood and, and as it turned out i wish i would have mentioned this to him uh, when i saw him the other day bowling green and greenwood played in football last friday night and i, I took reed my son we went up to the game and i was like man i feel like i missed an opportunity to to take a selfie with damien and, and, and maybe posted a, about the football game
1: you could have told him you were now a pride member of the hall of fame of Bowling Green <laughs>
0: High
1: School. Yeah. i wonder if he's hall of famer in greenwood
0: i gotta think he probably is. He is i would think so if if they have one he's probably in there uh, and i'm old enough to have done some of his his uh, high school games when he played for greenwood back in the day of course he went on to be an outstanding player at auburn but uh, yeah man he oh, was, yeah. he was a real star for for the uh, greenwood gators back in the 90s our guest this week is a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. He wrote the preview stories for Blue Ribbon uh, for UConn, the reigning national champion in Kansas, the, the preseason number
2: one. He is Ken Davis. Ken, what's going on, man? Hey, we're just uh, hanging in here. Uh, kind of good weather for fall in, in Connecticut and uh, getting ready for the season to start. The uh, free agency period is over. <laughs> and we're ready for, ready for basketball.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, when you talk about free agency, uh A lot of schools are hiring the position of general manager, which is crazy. Um, I wanted to have my buddy Ken on. We're, We're starting to talk about, on our show, teams that have a chance to win the national championship. And I remember you and I were texting back and forth, and you said, oh, Chris, where'd you have Kansas? And I said, number one. And he said, oh, man, if you'd have told me that, I might have choked on my story. And I'm like, <laughs> no, nah, this guy is a veteran. He's one of the best UConn writers in history. And uh, he won a, a USB award with a story he wrote on, on Blue Ribbon's uh, newsletter. So thanks for that. Um, so let's start out with Kansas. Um, I saw where they had to part ways with Artario Morris, but, Is that going to be much of a factor? They were a deep team with or without him.
2: Well, I don't know about the depth. I mean, of course, Bill doesn't – Bill Self doesn't use more than eight, maybe nine players at a time anyway. So right. um, I heard uh, they had media day out there in Lawrence yesterday, and Johnny Furphy has some shin splint issues, Um, probably just adjusting from Australia to – to uh bill self style basketball, <laughs> but, uh, yeah you know, he, he was, he was named to the, uh, watch list for the Julius Irving award, which kind of surprised me because, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of an unknown coming in. I mean, he didn't join up until they were on their, uh, summer trip in Puerto Rico in the first week of August, that's when KU announced he was coming because his, It was a little bit undecided about whether he was going to be out this year or next year and um they've heard a lot of good things and i've seen video of johnny furphy and boy you know he's explosive he's talented um he says he's acclimating well i saw some interviews yesterday but he does have a sense point issue i don't know who that fifth starter is going to be it may be el marco jackson who's a freshman but um when i talked to to Bill Self uh for our blue ribbon piece, it was just before they went to Puerto Rico. And of course, the Arterial Morris thing was controversial. Kansas fans weren't happy when he first uh transferred from Texas and because he had the domestic uh incident down there and but played all year last year at Texas. And Bill told me then that uh he was you know, he was doing great at Kansas and that, uh, he was making the trip to Puerto Rico and he did, I think he was the third leading scorer behind Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller. I think, uh, you know, it's only three games, just a small sample, but then he comes back and he gets, uh, suspended and arrested. And now I guess he's at a junior college in California is the last thing I That's heard crazy. And I mean, he went to Garden City, Kansas Community College, and then this, and he's still got these charges, which, I mean, if he's found guilty, he could face several years in prison. Um, and, you know, Bill said, well, yeah, we knew about the incident in Texas, and we support him, and he's been doing great. And, you know, I put him in our starting lineup. We named that, and, and I don't even know Bill said to this point who his fifth starter is going to be the four. With Hunter and KJ Adams and McCuller and Dewan Harris, you know those are set as soon as the as soon as the portal closed down. But um, I don't know who that shooting guard is, so they're going to have a weakness with their shooting because Grady Dick is gone. I mean, you can't yep. replace that kind of shooting. So it's going to be, uh, I mean, Timberlake obviously came from Towson, but and I'm talking to Bill then uh, that's the last time i've talked to him and reading things now i mean timberlake's got some adjusting to do just getting up to speed to big 12 level uh i don't know about timberlake's uh defense which is always a big deal with bill self so it sounds like maybe um a marco might be the guy and of course he'll be he'll be young but we'll um We'll see. I mean, Al is really explosive, and and uh, I think he fits in well to the system of you know them getting downhill and working with a guy like DeWan Harris. So um, that's a question, and and just the the depth. They they continue to say Zach Clements will redshirt. I think I think probably the depth is a bigger issue in practice. But I think Bill brought in like seven <laughs> walk-ons, which will help them get through. <laughs> and of course we don't write about those guys but uh, but he's got a bevy of uh guys to get him through practice time and and a, obviously a very talented five whoever that fifth guy is and then a, a good bench so um i think it'll come down to how long it'll take them to get into a a shooting rhythm you know and, and if they're in a fast break or dewan's getting the ball into uh, Hunter Dickinson, obviously. and Dewan, I, I you know, I think has been one of the most overlooked point guards in the country, but he is on the watch list for the Coosey award, which they've ignored him the last couple of years. But um McCullough's better. he's shooting better, so maybe maybe that'll help their shooting issues.
1: i'm uh, I'm proud to say, sir, that I am on the uh, Cousy, uh committee and and I have not ignored Dewan. Uh, (laughs) I wanted to ask, I've taken some gentle ribbing from some of our mutual friends about making Hunter Dickinson National Newcomer of the Year. But he's new to Kansas, right? I mean, he's probably the best uh, portal transfer ever. So uh, uh, what did Bill think about the way that he had adjusted? Uh, uh, he, He seems perfect for Bill's offense
2: he may be the ultimate i mean bill says he may be the best guy they've had at that position and they've had some good big men obviously and i think yeah once once he entered the portal i think all of us who watch college basketball knew that he he was kind of a bill self kind of guy and yeah um maybe not great defensively um but kj adams can certainly uh fill that and uh I I just think Dewan is the perfect guy to get Hunter his shots in the best place. And the, one of the great things about Hunter, and I've watched him a lot on TV, never seen him in person, but I mean, he's a good passer and that, that'll that fit the, the need as well. And he can, he can maybe Dewan dump it down there and he can kick it out to him, a color or whoever, if it's on Marco, the shooting guard i th- i think we'll see a lot of that but uh obviously hunter can f- can finish around the rim um not really a big alley-oop kind of guy but uh certainly DeWan will uh, get that aspect of the game with kj they've connected the last couple of years so they'll i think they'll feature a little bit of all that but i think hunter's a, a perfect fit uh, when i talked to hunter for our article uh Hunter was saying how uh, it'll be good to get away from the physical play of the Big Ten, <laughs> and I told Bill he said, "I told Bill he said that." And he goes, "Well, the Big Twelve's kind of physical too, Ken, <laughs> and that's true." <laughs> but I mean, you know, that was purely a kind of a reputation thing coming out of Hunter's mouth because we all know that's the, the Big Ten situation. Yeah. But I, I think it'll be really interesting to see early, and of course, Kansas has. Some huge games with going to the Maui and um and playing Kentucky, obviously. And then also that big game with UConn, which I think they should rename the Ken Davis Memorial Game since those are the two <laughs> schools.
1: I was gonna say I, absolutely.
2: <laughs> I've written books on both teams. I went to school in Kansas and I've been here in U in Connecticut land since eighty five. I came a year before Jim Calhoun did, so uh that's uh that's Somebody that. Somebody wasn't so, um, thinking, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I covered the. They played when Calhoun and and uh, Roy Williams were coaches. They played uh, home and home, and uh, UConn went out to Kemper Arena, the old no. They don't use for college hoops anymore. Um, side of the '88 Final Four, but um, oh yeah, Ku won out there, and then. UConn came back, I mean, uh, KU came to Hartford to the uh, Civic Center. I, th- I think it was the next year or the year after that and Kansas won both of those games and the only other time they met was in the NCAA tournament when uh, Kevin Ollie was the uh, UConn coach and Bill Self. So UConn fans are upset because they're 0-3 all time against Kansas and now they're going to get their first taste to Allen Fieldhouse. <laughs> I say as an <laughs> alum. Yeah. But um that, that should be interesting. I, I mean I don't know if uh I don't know if that's the best game of the preseason, but it's certainly gotta be a top ten game. Ken
0: Davis is our guest, uh, Blue Ribbon contributing editor, and as he said, uh, wrote both the uh, UConn and Kansas preview stories going into this year. Uh, Chris asked the questions about Kansas. I'll ask him about UConn. Uh, they have three starters returning. I know there's been an injury or two, but uh, Danny Hurley seems like he has the right approach toward this season in that it's an entirely new year, and, and last season was last season when they they climbed the ladder as NCAA champions. He's trying
2: hard to, to act like he's got a chip on his shoulder, which always works for Dan uh they went to Big East media day <laughs> earlier this week and they were picked three so he had some choice words for uh being picked behind Marquette and Creighton but you know the Big East is is pretty loaded I could see those top four or five teams in the Big East finishing in just about any order although I do think Marquette has to be considered the favorite you know um Marquette did win the regular season and the in the Big East tournament last year and shock has got another good team back and uh um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how UConn puts the pieces together. Last year, they got off to the 14 and 0 start, and then they they kind of wavered a little bit in Big East play. And they didn't, you know, they haven't won the Big East regular season in, in years, and that was always a, a big thing to Jim Calhoun. He always talked about winning in the neighborhood. So, um, it's going to be a, a grind in the Big East as usual, and so you could see, you know, one game separating those top three or four teams at the end of the of the season and um Dan Dan of course is gonna remind them constantly that uh they uh, were picked third. Uh Villanova's <laughs> right there and the other the other uh preview I did for Blue Ribbon was St. John's and I think you better watch out for Coach Patino uh in in the in Queens uh if, especially once he gets once he gets into Madison square garden and gets that place rocking again, I mean, it's, that's Dave Gavin always said to me that, uh, and, and to everybody else that, uh, you, the big East needed St. John's to be good. Right. And it's been a long, long time. And, and of course, Louie's still around. Uh, Louie gave his endorsement to Patino. So, you know, they, they searched, uh, they've gone through a bevy of coaches since Louie left and, um, this might be the year where you hear a lot about them. I, I think they're, I think they're fringe top twenty-five right now. I think some people have them at twenty-fifth. Um, some people say they're just going to barely make the tournament. He's got too much talent coming in there, and uh, Soriano is the best big man in the league. He's, you know, Donovan Clingan's going to have to prove himself at UConn that uh, he can. You know, Sonago's gone. Um, congratulations to him. I see he made the. Uh, opening day roster for the Chicago Bulls with so a two-way contract. And and that's good because he didn't get drafted. But Donovan's going to have to come into his own as a starter now, playing more minutes, um, obviously very talented, had a great freshman year. Big guy's got great footwork. Um, leadership is going to be a little bit of a question without Andre Jackson back. And who, who lights the fire under this team? But um, they've got – A good freshman class coming in. Some of them, they want to call themselves the Fab Five. I don't think it's quite, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's quite (laughs) bad. But, uh, you know, he's got a lot of talent. And I think the early part of the season for them is interesting, too, because they not only have that Kansas game, but they have North Carolina and um, several other stiff tests in December. So, um, you know, we all know it's, I mean, nobody's repeated since Florida. And 06 and 07 and not an easy thing to do so um certainly in the running uh chris picked them three um i might have gone a little bit further down maybe around six which i think is what they are in the ap poll but you know what what you know what does it matter once they start playing right nobody knew last year that they were going to take off on a 14-0 start so i think it's a very good uconn team um repeat who knows? I mean, it, it. We just have to see how it plays out. You got to get through that tough Big East first, and I don't think the Big Twelve is quite as good as it was in the past. Although Houston certainly will make a case with uh, with Kansas, and um, both conferences are are right there.
0: Ken, uh, one more before I let you go. Uh, how does Gamble Pavilion go more than 30 years without getting a new floor? I saw where they re- replaced the hardwood <laughs> there. Gosh, it seems like that thing would have been worn out long before uh, just this past season. You
2: know, I didn't even realize that. You know, I was there for the uh, opening in 1990, which was the dream season, and they played St. John's in the first game, and it didn't open until January. And, and uh, God loved the field house, but, you know, it had leaks and <laughs> there were probably- <laughs> There were puddles on the court, and that no court lasted that long in the in the old fieldhouse. I can guarantee you that. I I don't know, and now you know I don't know how it sold, but they cut up pieces of the, this floor, and fans were able to buy it. And now it says declares it's the basketball capital of the world, which I think Vital started in 04 with both the men and the women won. Uh, that's kind of a a brash statement, but the UConn fans. <laughs> They they want history to begin in nineteen ninety nine when UConn won the first national championship anything but (laughs) they they certainly Anything get else the, was the dark ages well yeah well 19 you mean kansas won a championship in 1952 with fog allen and Clyde lavella give me a break you know they don't want to talk about that uh that's ancient history to them but uh no it's i i haven't seen it yet i haven't been over there but i uh, will get over soon but uh yeah there's a new floor and gino and uh Danny, you are both very proud of that, and I'm sure several opposing coaches will go in and make sure that their their uh, teams see that declaration on the uh, baseline. There you go,
0: Ken. <laughs> thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it, man. You you covered two fantastic
2: programs, and and great to have you with us on our show. Yeah, thanks a lot. You guys take care. Don't no no more uh, no more door slamming. Okay, Chris. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks, my friend. That's good advice.
0: Well, that was Ken Davis. He is a Blue Ribbon contributing editor, wrote preview stories about UConn and Kansas, and uh, fun to to catch up with Ken and hear his thoughts on those teams. And uh, I thought that was interesting about the the floor at Gample Pavilion that they had not replaced it since the place opened in 1990. Usually the, the shelf life for basketball courts is somewhere around, I think, 10 years or so, or maybe a little more than that, maybe 10 or 15 years. But those things get to a point where they can't sand them down anymore to refinish them and you know they, right. they after taking a few layers off and i think that's what had happened to the one at Gample. so uh yeah i'm sure those uh pieces of it probably sold pretty well and i'll have to ask shay ralph she's the, the women's coach at vanderbilt and she is a yukon legend uh you know from her playing right. days up there And she was an assistant with geno for a long time i'll have to ask her if she got a piece of that old court i, I would imagine she probably did uh did, especially knowing her history there
1: I'm surprised like you that it lasted that long. We have a company here in Chattanooga that makes floors for, I mean, all kinds of division one teams. They've done it for the Olympics. I think some NBA surfaces. They did that crazy floor at Oregon uh-huh. with the trees and stuff. Yeah, It's kind of grown on me over the years, but uh, I've visited their factory uh, several times and see how they put floors together it's really fascinating but I can't imagine a shelf life of 30 years especially the pounding it took from I mean if you talk about Yukon's women and men's basketball that, that that's some that's some good teams there that play hard and physical and yeah I just can't imagine a floor mm-hmm. lasting 30 years without you know little bumps and and sags and and what have you but uh they got their money's worth
0: I have uh, I have a few pieces from old courts from over the years uh Vanderbilt replaced their court before last season and there were a bunch of a walked through Memorial Gym one day and there were a bunch of big pieces just laying around where they were just going to take them out and put them in a dumpster and so they
1: I didn't I, sell them yeah no
0: <laughs> I, I think they might have on maybe on a, on a few of them or, or giving them away as gifts but I I scooped up a couple of those and brought them home um I have a piece of the original court from Diddle Arena at Western Kentucky I, I saw a lot of games and and Played pickup yeah, ball or intramural I, ball. I've been there myself on that court. Uh, and then I also have a piece that, that Belmont sent me of their original court from the Curb Center, and uh, they they sent me that as a as a little gift. So yeah, I've I've That's collected cool. a few of those over the years. I, I think those things are really neat. Duke coach John Shire, he'll be on the court there at Cameron Indoor Stadium for a long time. Uh, He's getting a a six-year contract extension through the 28-29 season. The team's ranked in the top 10. Uh, They won the ACC Tournament Championship in his first season as head coach last year, won 27 games and have had back-to-back top recruiting classes. So in the post-Coach K era, John Shire feels like he's a, a good fit and is doing a good job with that program.
1: Yeah, I. Some people were a little taken aback when when the heir apparent was announced that it was John Shire. But if you look at some of Coach K's uh, disciples, uh, they haven't exactly done great. Uh, T- Tommy Amaker has done a great job at Harvard, but in his two stops in the at the Power Conference level, Seton Hall and Michigan, he did not. And I'm not saying he couldn't have done a good job at Duke, but I think maybe that worked against him a little bit. Uh, And Chris Collins at the time was on a downward spiral uh, at Northwestern, but he picked it up last year. So maybe had he continued uh, on from that initial success he had, uh, he might have been the guy. But John Shire was a logical pick. Uh, He obviously played on that 2010 uh, national championship team. I was actually there at that game and uh, remember that game so well. But he was just always a cerebral guy, uh, a gutsy player, a leader, could shoot it. And, you know, he, he worked under Coach K for, I guess, a decade as his a top, one of his top assistants. And Coach K let, let him have more and more responsibility and, it, the, the longer it went on the more you thought that he would be the guy and he's disappointed no one they ran into a buzzsaw I think against the Tennessee team in the Sweet 16 last year without their best defensive player and sure enough that allowed Olivier Camwall for, for uh, uh, Tennessee to kind of career out <laughs> yep. and have his best game ever uh, which propelled him into the portal to go to Michigan bad mistake on his part uh but yeah i think john shire is the guy uh six-year deal seems about right to me Uh, i don't think he's going anywhere that's the best job in the country
0: all right chris as we uh, finish up our show i I got a fun topic for us and this came from a conversation i had with with doug weikert who is a a former vanderbilt player and now a renowned hand surgeon has been for many years His son drew played at vanderbilt as well a couple years ago uh we were at an event uh last week Vanderbilt had a scrimmage and some things for for season ticket holders and we were talking about things that reminded us of basketball and he said for him and, and he spent a lot of time in Indiana we, we had actually started with a conversation about uh, Reed and I going to French Lick Indiana this past summer uh, when we went up to holiday world I kind of took a lap through French Lick that you know of course the that's the, cool the, the home of Larry Bird and and uh, the, yep. the Weikerts have family up there but we were talking about things that reminded us of basketball and he said for him it was the smell of popcorn. Dr. Weichert said if he smelled popcorn, he felt like uh, he needed to be at a basketball game or he wanted to be in a gym somewhere. And I got to thinking about it. And I said, you know, as far as you know, smells and things like that, the smell of that lacquer coating that they put on a basketball court before the, the season starts, if they refinish it. That's one of the things that always kind of triggers my thoughts toward basketball and, and, and getting the season going. I was going to see if there were things like that for you, that there was a smell or a sound that reminded you of basketball and, and uh, just how much you love the game.
1: Uh, in fact, there is, and I'm fortunate that I don't have to see Dr. any anytime soon. Uh,
0: <laughs> that, yeah, that's a, a, a perfect story for this particular show. After
1: my my car door. <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to look him up, but I know I would have had you to put in a good word. Um, For me, it's the squeaking of the sneakers. Uh Uh, It drives my wife walkers to hear that noise. But for me, it's like a symphony because it it means cutting and and moving. It, It denotes movement. And I just love a crisply played basketball game. And you can tell it's being crisply played by the sound those shoes makes. And they're making hard cuts and moving without the basketball. So I'll always associate that with the game. And I just love it. It drives some people nuts. Uh, She can hear me as I I record this. But uh, not me. To me, it's like a symphony.
0: Oh, I love that too. And uh, our, our office is in Memorial Gym, and sometimes I'll walk out in the hallway and I'll hear the sneakers and I'll hear the the basketballs pounding on the court, and I'll be like, "Man, I got to get up there and see what's going on." So I, I'm the same it's way. Time that, for that, some balling. And- yeah, it is definitely time for some ball, and uh, we'll be there another uh, week and a half and uh, get the season started. Always a lot of fun, Chris. Uh, looking forward to getting things cranked up here. And uh, man, it's always great to visit with you and talk some hoops. All
1: right, buddy. Thanks a lot. He's Chris
0: Dorch. Hopefully his finger will be better next time we talk. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs)